There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Body Rappers, Angelo Luzio is happy to be the sponsor of this episode of Conversations on Dance. Body Rappers, Angelo Luzio is known for its fine, total stretch tights and Angelo Luzio shoes and has Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, as its spokesperson and designer for the Tyler Peck Designs for Premiere. It takes a dancer who lives in a leotard eight hours a day to know what is best in a leotard, so Tyler's original leotard fits perfectly. Our ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and are beautiful, move well with the body, and won't ride up in the back. September means back to school and dance classes. Body Rappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that include ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angelo Luzio shoes. You may view all of their products at bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Rappers, go to dancewearcorner.com. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week, we are joined by Susan Pilar, esteemed teacher at the School of American Ballet, repetitor for the Balanchine Trust, and former New York City Ballet soloist. Susie, as her students, friends, and family call her, joined the New York City Ballet under George Balanchine's direction at the age of 15. She spent 16 years in the company, premiering in many of his most important works and eventually rising to the rank of soloist. She has remained a keeper of the Balanchine flame ever since, officially joining the staff of the School of American Ballet in 1986. Ms. Pilar also stages Balanchine's works throughout the world as a representative of the Balanchine Trust. Her daughter Zoe, a former Miami City Ballet dancer and repetitor, appeared on Conversations on Dance just last week. Today we talk with Susie about her first encounters with Balanchine, her career dancing for him, how she got her position at the School of American Ballet, and about her passion for continuing to pass on her knowledge to future generations of School of American Ballet students. We're so happy to be doing this with you in person, Susie. Thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, really our pleasure to have you here today. Well, I'm happy to be here. All right. We're just going to get started at the beginning. So how did you first become exposed to ballet? Oh, I don't know. I think um, 
I took uh, classes at, you know, the local Dottie Dinkle Ballet School. I think my mother was a, my mother was a band singer in the 40s, and, we, and she was very musical, and she moved very well, and we had a lot of music in the house, so I imagine I danced around some, and um, so I went to this local school where um, they did everything. I, I don't think I did more than ballet. I did a little jazz. I know I have a movie of myself doing a jazz uh, calypso number in a bumblebee costume when I was six. I think I was the star of the recital. We used to have the recital in the movie theater in my local town. But real ballet, I mean, I imagine, I, I remember going to see the, um, the Bolshoi at the Old Met, um, famous Russians doing spring waters and things like that. But um, my first real, because the woman's <laughs> sister who owned the local ballet school was a rockette, and that was the big thing. You know, we'd go to Radio City. But Melissa Hayden, just, it was so fortunate. She and her husband, um, Don Coleman, opened a ballet school in my town when I was eight. And they did a, she and Jacques Tamboise came and did a demonstration at my local temple. And they did like three potatoes or something. And I just, that's the first time I was like, oh, wow, mom, I have to go to this school. Can I please go to this school? And she said, um, well, you know, we're paid up at the other school for the rest of the year. And I said, oh, please, can I go? So she let me go. So that's when I really became aware of, I think, you know, the real thing. At what point did you begin to attend class at the School of American Ballet? So what happened was, again, you know, life is just full of fortunate accidents, or not fortunate accidents, but in this case, fortunate that the school didn't do that well. <laughs> and um, Melissa would come and teach maybe once a month, and but she had wonderful teachers there, uh, Frank Hobie and Michael Mall. Uh, Frank Hobie was a principal in New York City Ballet, and his wife, Ruthanna Boris, and Michael Maul was in ABT, and I mean, I didn't know anything. I just knew they liked me, and I liked them. <laughs> <laughs> and, but then the school uh, folded, and Melissa took me by the hand and deposited me here to Madame Tumkowski in Fourth Division, and um, I didn't audition or anything. She just gave me to her, and that was it. And um, so I was here from, I guess, a ten and a half or something like that. And um, that's how I came here. So when did you sort of become aware of the um, greater components? Like what, what yeah. SAB was attached well, to? Well, you know, I was in, in those days, we didn't have a lot of children's ballets. Mr. B, we had Nutcracker. And that was it. And um, I also was in a ballet uh, called Medea. It was done by uh, Bridget Kuhlberg from Sweden, came and did Medea for Melissa and Jacques. And then Violette Verdi was um, the princess. And so uh, my friend Delia Peters and I, we were the two children that she murdered. <laughs> and so. Oddly enough, you know, the ballet was, it was on at City Center, I guess it was probably in 59, and um, 
it, it was on the program with Seven Deadly Sins all the time. It was a very dramatic <laughs> evening, I imagine. I didn't know any different, but um, so I got to see some pretty great things. And then, uh, and then I was here, but I really, I wasn't here because I didn't live in Manhattan, you know. My mother would drive me in, it was like three or four times a week, and I would take late class. There used to be late C and late B. And uh, so, you know, we'd drive in from Long Island until I could take the Long Island Railroad by myself. And so I wasn't taking as many classes as the kids that lived here and took morning class. But then I got, when I was uh, right before my sophomore year, we had a thing called special class, which was eventually became C2, but it was taught by Dubrovska exclusively. And then we had the other teachers too on other days, but, and so that meant that I had to take morning class, so I begged my parents if I could possibly um, go to professional children's school, which was, you know, a great deal of money at that time, and, um, and I'd have to take the train early in the morning to go to PCS so I could take morning class, but that worked out, and I was able to do that, and so I started that in September of my sophomore year, and then I was in the company in January of my sophomore year. So it was a pretty wild ride, and I, I have to say I was completely clueless. <laughs> I just, I mean, I was happy, but I, you know, I didn't even know what was going on. It was, it was different in those days, very, very different. Do you have um, an early memory of Balanchine, either meeting him or seeing yeah. him? Well, yeah, I... I remember, well, the story was, is that, and it's true, that, well, we were at the old uh, school, which is where Barnes & Noble on Broadway is now, and there was a Pedro and Olga's ballroom studio. You went up this big stairway, which would be the second floor of Barnes & Noble, and to the left was Pedro and Olga's, and to the right was the School of American Ballet. And so uh, the studio's you entered, there was a balcony that you could stand and look, the studios were down the steps. They were like in what would be the middle floor, the mezzanine of Barnes and Noble. But very high ceilings all the way to the top. And Mr. B used to come in and stand and uh, on the balcony and look around. And, you know, all the girls were so nervous. And I, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then one day, um, one day, we had uh, Andrei Glevsky was a wonderful teacher, and um, I think he liked me because I could jump very well. <laughs> and Mr. B came in, and he literally put me in front of him because Mr. B sat down, came down the steps, and he sat by the piano, which was on the side of the room, and he put me in front of him, and he gave sixteen entrechasses, and um, I could do them. <laughs> And I got into the company that day, but I didn't, and and I wasn't an apprentice, actually, because a whole bunch of girls had been in apprentices, you know, they had been at the school longer, I mean, they'd been taking morning class much longer, and they were in um, Spanish and Nutcracker, that's what the apprentices, and they still do that, and a whole bunch of uh, girls that were in my class, and so... Then, so after that class, we went to lunch at PCS. They had a cafeteria of sorts. And 
and people were congratulating the apprentice girls that they had gotten into the company. And I said, congratulations. And then somebody said to me, congratulations to you. You're in the company. And I said, I'm in the what? <laughs> You're in the company. I said, no, that can't be. I just, no. So when I went back to the school, um, I asked uh, Madame Russo and Madame Gleboff, somebody told me I was in the company. And they said, oh, yes, we forgot to tell you. Mr. Balanchine would like you to join the company. <laughs> That's how things were in those days. It was... It was uh, it was different, and so I was. So I wasn't an apprentice. I was directly in the company right away, and w along with the girls who had been apprentices. So then, what were some of the ballets you started to dance? Well, right my away? first time I ever really danced on the stage, other other than the children's ballets that I did, was you know second movement symphony in C. There I was, in the core, you know, and but we did. I remember, because I was in city center uh, for a year. This was like end of 63 or something like that. And uh, so I was there for a year before we moved. And we did, um, well, Symphony and Sea, Western, Firebird, of course. That was the classic uh, matinee show. Swan and Swan Lake, Swan Lake, Firebird, Afternoon of the Fawn, and Western. That was, you know... But, you know, everything, stars, and um, then they brought back Four Temperaments when I was uh, at City Center, and I had, you know, understudied it. I wasn't in it, and then this girl that, um, she was injured, and so, you know, they put me in it, and that was like a big deal because, you know, you had to count it and everything, and and I guess I did okay. It's like... <laughs> So a lot of great ballets. There, and the repertoire was much smaller, but they were all pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> what were some other? Um, what was the company really like at that point? What were the things that made an impression on you? I mean, well, you know, I have to say, I was really so young and so. Um, I I didn't. I I wasn't really I. I was just doing my thing and rehearsing, and I remember I, if I was exhausted, I, there was a candy machine there, and I would get a a Milky Way before <laughs> <laughs> before the performance at night. And I still lived in Long Island, because, and my father would come pick me up after the show at City Center and drive me home. So I was just, you know, and then I'd get up early and get on the train and go get to school for eight. So it was, you know, I guess I was tired, but so the company, the old, you know, we were the first group of like a group of younger people. And I think a lot of the, um, and maybe we were wild and carried on and maybe the older girls looked at us, you know, like, you know, calm down. And I don't know if they were that thrilled with us, but, um, it was so, it was exciting, but just that it was exciting. And, you know, we went on a huge tour of Europe in 65, a thing that they could never do now. It was three months, and we went to Israel and and um, every, you know, France, Italy, Yugoslavia, Greece, Austria, the Netherlands, London. I mean, all different cities in Italy. And so, I mean... We didn't dance that much. You know, we did stars and things on the tour, not too many ballets, so we were out sightseeing and, 
when we were in Austria, we, it was the year of The Sound of Music. We rented a car and went up to the mountaintops in Salzburg and pretended we were, you know, the Von Trapp family. And I mean, so we were young, but we did, a lot, we did, we had a lot of fun. So in those early years when you were dancing these core roles, how involved was Balanchine in your rehearsals? Would he come in and be working with the core that much? Um, he'd always come. Not in the beginning. He, we had ballet mistresses that were wonderful. Francia Russell was actually my ballet mistress. And um, Unakai. And also Vita Brown, who we see around. All She lives here. And she's just a wonderful... You know, they were very nurturing and very motherly. You know, come on, Susie! Like, like that. And it was so... And then Mr. B would always come to... Um, the last couple of rehearsals. So when did you start to kind of get your first um, soloist or um, I, It's hard for me to re remember exactly, but I think it might have been, the first thing I might have done was, um, well, I learned Raimonda, I did Raimonda. It might have been, but before that, could have been a first movement demi in Symphony and C, and I thought this is like the hardest thing. I, <laughs> still is. <laughs> it was. It still is. You know. But I and I remember being in Saratoga and having to and and requesting to be in this little practice room and just go over it and over it myself because it was. I thought that was a big deal. That was hard. It's harder than a lot of principal things I've ever done. Did you have limited rehearsals in the way that I feel like I hear so much of now? Like, did you have to just go out there and do it, or did you guys have more time in that time? I think we had we rehearsed a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that um, we rehearsed more because there was less repertoire. So, you know, if a ballet was coming up, we'd start working on it, not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the two week days before, before maybe, yeah. you know, because the season, you'd have the season, and so you had a rehearsal period, and you rehearse things for the season, but there weren't that many things to rehearse, so there weren't, like, fights about who gets the studio, or... <laughs> so how did your promotion come about? Um, my promotion? Four of us were promoted at the same time. It was my very dear, closest friend, Susie Hendel, who grew up with me at the school, and um, she's my oldest friend, not oldest in years because we're the same age, but I mean, <laughs> since we were 10 years old and, um, and we're still friends. And um, Bruce Wells, who was also a soloist with me and I danced with him a lot and he was a teacher in Pacific Northwest Ballet and Ricky Weiss. So it was Ricky and Bruce and Susie and me we were all promoted at the same time. And that was exciting, and we got <laughs> and we got our dressing room, and it was it was pretty thrilling. Yeah. Did you guys have a, a feeling this was coming? Had you been dancing a lot of featured things, or just those kind I, of? I I don't think I had a feeling it was coming. It just and it and it didn't happen the way now. You know, it, it was a long time. It was like you know about at least nine years after I'd been in the company because. There was a roster of principles that were, you know, unbelievable. I mean, the people I grew up watching dance, and and uh, they were there. And then 
there were a lot of soloists too that became promoted when I joined. A whole bunch of people were made soloists. And so um, it wasn't kind of like, okay, well, you've done this many roles, you'll be a soloist. Right. Because you did solo roles when you were in the core, right. and you did principal roles when you were in the core. And it, mm. it wasn't so much about the title, but it was nice. <laughs> I, I feel like now, um, like when people get promoted, there's often a lot of fanfare, like, oh, you got tricked into this fake photo shoot, or we, you know, we give it to you after you do this star role. So do you remember what exactly happened? Because I, I absolutely know do not you remember. Because <laughs> I've heard stories about people just seeing their pay raise change and then having to go see, and they're like, oh, you got promoted. I was wondering if it was I don't remember. I, I really don't remember. I do remember that somebody came and did a, an article in the newspaper about us after after I knew about it. It wasn't like surprise, <laughs> but um, I, I I don't remember exactly how it happened. Susie might remember. Maybe she. Um, so, what are some of your greatest personal memories um, working with Balanchine and dancing for him? You know, just being in the room with him was. I mean, when I was very young, and we were all terrified. You know, so. You know, does he like me? Does he not like me? You know, because oftentimes when you get in and you're young, you know, he leaves you alone and you think like, oh, you know, I think I went through something like that for a while. And um, but just when he was making something about, you know, everybody was important to him. Didn't matter who you were. I mean, what part you were playing. It was and big ballets. And I I was lucky because. In the 70s, you know, I mean, everybody will argue that their time was his most prolific time. But um, I, I think like the late 60s and um, late 60s to late 70s was the time. I mean, the Stravinsky Festival and everything. But also, you know, I was Harlequinade I was in originally. So many ballets. Um, well, Who Cares was really fun for me because he made a little solo for me and Richard Rapp, too. It's wonderful. And the music had so much meaning for me because my mother, I told you, was a band singer. And so I knew the words to every song and Who Cares. Mr. B was really surprised. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, my mother was a singer. And uh, I loved that music. And But even a ballet like Tombow was extraordinary because, you know, the no principles, I mean, a lot of us in it were soloists, but we were just astounded, and you can't believe how fast he did it. And and I always tell this story, like, he'd do a step, and dee-da-da-da-da-da-da, and, uh, and you, you got to the point where you sort of knew what he was going to do next, you know, because we were his pencils but uh and the, but he'd always say he'd stop for a minute and then he'd say let's see how it looks <laughs> and of course it always looked great you know but I mean he very very rarely changed things sometimes things gave him a problem and he but I, I don't remember it so much with like large group things I mean Union Jack I mean you can't it was, and the older I got, the more, well, when you're in it, you don't appreciate it as much as 
when you stand back and look at it. Now when I stage ballets, and I stage ballets, A, that I was in, but B, um, ones I, the ones I uh, wasn't in, they're like a miracle to me when I look at them and, try and put them on. I mean, totally a miracle. And, um, and of course, Symphony in Three Movements, I was original in that. And it, it, it just, it's indescribable and it's sort of, you, you try to tell people and um, there, there's really no word. You had to be there. <laughs> but you sort of get a sense of it if you appreciate them the way I know you guys do. So, um, can we talk about Symphony in Three for a second? Sure. Actually, because I I'm so obviously the Stravinsky Festival was just yeah. you know masterwork after masterwork yeah. like flowing yeah. out of him. And but you also had the time constraints and that you guys you know you had to put it up so quickly with li limited rehearsal. So how did you feel um, going into you know that premiere of Symphony in Three? Did you you have know? It was one of those things, and you talk, people talk about it in history when Mr. B was, I think it was like Guno and Agon and stars and, and, and it was fifty-four, right? fifty-seven mm -hmm. stars, and he'd run from one room to the next. I wasn't in the company then, but you know, people say now you go there now, and it was like that. I imagine I I was only in two. Ba I was only in well, Dances Concertant. He redid for us. It hadn't been done in, you know, years. And it was re-choreographed, so... Except for maybe the red pas de, de, pas de trois. But, um, so I was in that and Symphony in Three. And uh, I don't think I was in anything else that was being made. But, so it was great because you, you know, I remember my friend Susie Hendel and I went out front, the night duo um, premiered, and we hadn't seen a step. Mm -hmm. And we, our mouths were just on the floor, and we went back and we were crying. Mr. B, that was so beautiful, that was so beautiful. And he went, really, dear? Did you really like it? Duh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, because I guess, you know, he, I mean, he didn't maybe have time to, you know, sometimes I think he said, I really liked that ballet, but I, it, something like this that was such a, it's not a rush job, but I guess it is, you know, production, fast production. So, so Symphony in Three, um, you know, we liked it, but I liked what I did in it. But again, you know, I didn't see the whole thing. And then when it was put together, and then it was on the stage, and that was a big surprise. People were just devastated when that, when the curtain came down. I mean, like, what, you know? But we didn't. We had no idea it was going to be like that. So, outside of Balanchine, who would you say some of your greatest influences for your dancing were? Um, well, dancers, mm -hmm. you know, and they were my friend. Well, Melissa, Melissa, you know, was my teacher and my mentor. And I, I when I was very young, I used to go watch her dance all the time because my girlfriend who ended up being in the company with me, she lived in Manhattan. So when I was like 14, I would um, go sleep over at her house and we'd go to the ballet. And of course, I, I've told this story recently a lot because we're doing Scotch Symphony this year, but, the per but my girlfriend was 
very in love with Eddie Valella. So we saw Prodigal Son, but it was the program was Prodigal Son, Sonambula with Allegra, and Melissa and Jock in, in Scotch. And I saw it so many times. And of course, my friend wanted to be Allegra, and you know who wouldn't? But I, you know, I wanted to be Melissa in Scotch, and uh, I, nobody wanted to be Eddie, but she was in love with him <laughs> in Prodigal. <laughs> So I, I got to see things, but um, so Melissa and of course Allegra Kent is everybody's dream person, and it turned out that she and I became very close friends when, uh, and we still are, when I was very young. I don't know, we just became close, and so she was a huge influence. And Patty McBride, I think, very specially was. Uh, a big influence for me because I, I loved the way she moved and and uh, she was a little closer in age to me and, and we're still friends too. So, I mean, and then Violette, oh my goodness, these people, you know, you, you merely had to look around the room. Violette was extraordinary and and you appreciate it so much now when you, at least we have some great, Films. Wish we had more, but um, there's not enough of Allegra. And um, and Maria Tallchief was still dancing when I started, and she was so generous, very generous. I mean, you know, she had this voice, and she sounded very imposing. And but she was very generous. Allegra will tell you they they helped because the the dancers helped each other a lot. I mean. The principals taught us roles. There weren't the ballet mistresses were mostly worked with the core, but when it was a, unless it was Mr. B who taught it to you. So, the, and and um, you know my teachers at the school were wonderful. I mean, and very very good to me. And Dubrovska to me, Madame Tchaikovsky. Um, she was my first teacher when I was in fourth division and. Then I became, came back and I, and I uh, taught here and she one time, and we were very good friends, you know? And I used to take her to doctor's appointments too and mm -hmm. she was so funny and adorable and taught up until she was like 94. Wow. So, um, and Mr. Glefsky was great. You know, we loved our men teachers and Mr. Glefsky was, uh, and who else? Do we, and and Mr. Bukov and Vladimirov. I had great teachers. Um, so you were an original understudy for the Jerome Robbins Masterwork Dances at a Gathering. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I always get the it's same good, reaction. You can talk to me about. I'll talk about it. But <laughs> the people who are actually not the understudies, <laughs> they by the time it went, nobody was that glad to be doing it. Maybe Eddie, maybe Eddie was, but, um, because Jerry, you know, and I, it, it's a, it's a, it's my favorite Robin's ballet, you know, along with Fawn. I think it's his masterpiece. Um, but a lot of it, I think, had to do with the people he had in the room. And, um, but he would change things. Unlike Mr. B, who'd say, let's see how it looks. And Jerry, you know, one minute it was this, and the next minute it was that. And it was six months. 
So, you know, but again, I was young and, and I was just thrilled to fill in for any, I learned everything and somebody wasn't there and I got to dance. So by the time it went, I think, and Gelsey Kirkland and I were the two understudies for them. We had to audition for it. It was a big audition for the, to be the understudy. And um, by the time it actually went, I think we were the only two people that actually wanted to dance it. But, <laughs> but um, it you know, the music was so great. And Jerry was very inspired. And it's not that he changed that much choreography, but he kept changing who was going to do what dances. And that's, and there was, there's a famous story about, I wasn't in it the night it premiered, but pretty soon after, but nobody knew what dance was, and the order of the dances, and who was dancing what, and so there were signs all over the, th all over the wings, like what comes next, and who's in it, and so that, that was the big thing about dances, but the, ba the ballet itself was beautiful, and we had, and at that time, Gordon Belsner, um, who was the most amazing pianist there ever was, in terms of ballet, as far as I'm concerned, and because he was like a dancer in his being, and Mr. B created all the ballets with Gordon, all when I was there, with Gordon playing. And so when he would play dances, it was like you just, you knew Gordon was playing, and he was dancing with, it just, it was so exciting to dance, I thought. So which sections in Dances at a Gathering were you learning? Because now I feel like things have kind of, become very cohesive, the blue girl does this, the green girl does this. But well, you when I was an understudy, I learned everything except I didn't really learn pink, except that at some point I ended up, I didn't learn the pas de deux, mm -hmm. like the, um, uh, you know, the scherzo pas de deux, or the, my favorite, one of my favorite dances is the etudes pas de deux, I love that. But um, but I learned everything else. I learned all of purple. I learned all of and purple was purple. But then yellow was blue, and blue was yeah. green. <laughs> I, I didn't learn green either. Oh. No, but I learned everything else. And I ended up doing. Sometimes we would mix and match. I ended up doing some of of yellow mixed with blue, and pink and the three girls, and so. That's what happened. So um, what, it's so interesting for me to think that for those of you who were there for the original creation of these works, to see them now performed today. What do you feel when you watch them? Do you see things that have changed and evolved? And Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, everything. You know, Violette, I loved Violette so much. She was the smartest person. And one day, <laughs> um, after she had this... Um, uh, movie that this French direction, director made of her coaching all these people in her roles. And um, so they've showed it at the Lincoln Center thing here. And um, afterwards, the, somebody, you know, there were questions and some man got up and asked her the same question she, you just asked me. And she said, don't be afraid of change. <laughs> change is good. And that was it. And I think that's what I would say to you. Everything changes. So I'm, I, you know, in my own mind, I have things the way I remember them. At least my mind is still good. And, um, and when I teach things, I like to teach them the way I remember them looking or the, the way it felt to do it. And then if it changes, 
that's life. We will return to conversations on dance in a moment, but first a word from our sponsor, Dance Work Corner. Are you sick of wearing the same old, same old in the studios every day, but just don't want to spend hundreds of dollars for just a few items? Well, at Dance Work Corner, you can freshen up your look for a fraction of the price you may think. They carry all the major brands, including Body Wrappers, Block, Morella, Capizio, Sodanza, and so many others. They even just stocked up on the Zarelli tights we have told you about in the past here on Conversations on Dance. So why wait? Click over to danceworkcorner.com now to freshen up your look for the new season or the new school year. And if you're in the Orlando area, check out their huge superstore. So at what point did you know that you had a talent for teaching and how did you transition into that role? Well, it's interesting because I, I never wanted, well, you know, when I was very young, Mr. B knew people that sort of got it. And um, when I was very young, I think maybe 19 or something like that, he told my girlfriend that, you know, I was going to be a very good, he would always say to us, oh, you're going to teach one day, you're going to teach one day. But he told my girlfriend that I was going to be a very good teacher. And I just completely freaked out. And I thought, like, he doesn't want me to dance. (laughs) (laughs) I want to dance. Well, of course, dear, you're going to dance, but you'll teach one day. And then sort of at the And then I I did teach sometimes um, in my later 20s. Sometimes I would substitute here at the school. And like B2 on up. And then at one point, right after I had been injured for like a long time, I had a bad back injury in like 1976 or 77, 77. And so I had just come back and then Mr. B said to me, um, because Karen von Arlding and, and Kay Mesa were teaching little children here. And I said, he asked me, Karen was too, she couldn't do it anymore. She was, had too much repertoire. And so he asked me if I would do it. And I said, in my, <laughs> I was so crazy, but I said, you know, Mr. B, I really don't think that I would be the best teaching little children how to dance. I think that what I could do better is teaching older kids. I don't think I'm really be good at that. And he said, okay, dear. And then I, and then, but I, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, she wants me to retire and not dance anymore. And I, I just came back and I want to dance. I want to dance. So that was that. And then, um, as it happened, let's see, 70. So, but for the next two years, you know, I'd been out a long time and I wasn't dancing so much. And it, it became apparent I wasn't going to dance much more things other than what I was already doing, and a little less and less. But, you know, I'd already been in the company 17 years. So, um, so eventually I, deci- I, I got pregnant. I, I was married, and I got pregnant. <laughs> and, or I wasn't married yet, but I was going to be. And, um, and so I had baby, and my daughter Hallie, and um, and I didn't go back. And in those days, you didn't go back unless you were a principal, which I wasn't. I was a soloist. And, it, you know, it's, 
he'd pretty much had it with me, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, well, he, you know, people want to see the next people go on, and even though it was hard to face at that time. So, okay, so then, so I had my children, and then, um, but what I found out in that time was, and Mr. B eventually, he died in 83, so, and I stopped at the end of 79. So, uh, and I, I worked on a couple of shows. I worked on On Your Toes with Mr. B, actually, until he wasn't able to do it, and with Peter and Carousel. Peter did a carousel in Washington, D.C., and but um, I didn't, wasn't teaching. Melissa Hayden had me teach. She had a school on Broadway, and she had me teach. And, and I staged some stuff, but I wasn't actually teaching. What I found out is that the Russians were furious at me for saying that I did not want to teach little children how to dance, out of context. They were so, and they did not, and Peter wanted me to go to the school, and they did not want me to go to the school. And so, uh, so that, you know, but I wasn't dying to go then. But then, it, so then I think in 1986, uh, Kay had to be, Kay Mazo had to be out for a while. And so Peter eventually talked them into taking me back, <laughs> back into the fold. The prodigal daughter came home. And um, so that's when I started to teach. But, uh, and you know, you don't know, I mean, of course you get better at it. But the funny thing about it was, because I, it wasn't like my ambition to be, you know, I was like afraid to be marked teacher before I was done dancing. How much you absorbed and how the words, you know, the pictures and how it just comes out of you completely unaware of, you know, what I had, had absorbed from my years in the New York City Valley and hearing Mr. B and hearing his words, you know, with his accent in my head. Um, so that, that, that was interesting. So being a teacher is obviously completely different in the classroom setting than being a student or taking a class. And it's one thing that as Michael and I teach sometimes, it's a challenge to kind of take on a different role and you have these different responsibilities. So what was it like for you to start transferring into that? And what were kind of like the tricks that helped you start right away? You know, um, I think when you're a dancer and well, also a dancer and also a mother and having been a young dancer and sensitive and worried and and also a sense of humor because Mr. B was so funny he was so clever and so funny and the um the stories and the analogies and the play on words, the puns, and, and he used to teach on Mondays. I was exhausted, but I went not, I, I just didn't want to miss any of the stories. That's because it was so interesting. It was so fascinating, the class. But So I think a sense of humor to be able to laugh at yourself and be... Uh, 
and not and also I'll tell you it's very important to let them know that you're on their side and be critical because what happens is young people get oh she hates me you know that's the only way you can get somebody not to hate you but <laughs> not not that they you hate them but to make them do it, oh, Mr. B used to make us do it alone over and over again in the class in front of everybody until we got it, you know, because that's the only way you get better. Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, but the feeling that you're on their side and the reason you're being so hard on them is not because... Um, you want to make them miserable. It's because you want to make them the best they can be before they leave you. So obviously, um, your class is very uh, influenced by your experience with Balanchine, but I wonder if you don't also incorporate uh, what you learned under the Russians when you were in the school somewhat. Um, you know, I sometimes I think I, I don't enough. You know, I don't give... I get so immersed in like the timing and the footwork and the porter bra and how the things are supposed to be. But I teach older kids, so it's okay because it's like the refinement and the icing on the cake. You know, sometimes I don't even get to a big jump, which right. Toomey was fantastic <laughs> at. And and um, it it really evolves from the ballets. It's you know, and and what it takes to do these ballets well. But it's all, you know, tondus, my God, you know, thousands of tondus pulling the toe back. And But on point, it's it's quite a thing because, and I think our school really maintains that, how to place your feet. I mean, it's paramount for women and men too you know you can't just slap your feet around and and the beauty of the port de bras and the and the speed of the glissade and the deep plie without you know slapping your heels down on the floor and it's it's a look how it looks that's the big deal so you know, I I feel like I could be wrong here, but I think that many schools in America, at least, don't ask that students train at bar on point. Why is that such an important element? It's very important. Uh, from the time I was 13 in B class, but we wore D-shanks because there is nothing that you get from a ballet shoe like trying to point your foot in a point shoe. And so, and he didn't want us to wear new point shoes. I mean, I get mad at the girls when they come in in new point shoes. But the D-shanks were just so that the tip knows that it's being pointed. And that's the thing he, and, and um, it, it went away for a while. And um, now, I, I think they don't do it now, but they have more point classes at younger ages now than than we had. We just had 15 minutes in, in fourth division on three times a week. I mean, it was crazy. You know, what's really funny is that um, Madame Glaboff, who also became such a dear friend of mine, the wisest woman that there ever was in the world, um, 
she always used to say that um, I was the only person that ever got into the company from late C. <laughs> like, because be- the year before I got into the company, I think I was taking like four or five classes a week, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe that's why I lasted so long. <laughs> because, you know, there, w- there weren't workshops. We didn't have anything. There weren't workshops, choreographic this. There was nothing. There was like class and the Long Island Railroad. <laughs> And homework, and homework on the train. <laughs> That's all there was. So you still come in and teach class every day in Point Shoes. Why is that so important to you? Um, well, it's a little selfish and a little not. Because, and I do a lot less than I used to. And right now my foot's a little injured, so I'm doing even less less. But I'm hoping that will go away. But um, I just never stopped. First of all, I don't like the feel of ballet shoes on the floor. And second of all, I just never stopped. So it's sort of a personal thing. I feel like, you know, like the witch in The Wizard of Oz, if I take them off, it'll be like, I'm melting. It'll be all, <laughs> it'll be all over. It'll be over forever. But, and I do take them off, you know, in like we have six weeks off in the summer and I don't put them on. And then every, you know, after Labor Day, I go in and I say, is this still going to work? And yeah. Okay, we'll do another year. Because, but it's, I, you know, I do think it's helpful to the girls. Because also, even though I can't, you know, do what I used to be able to do, I sort of know what it feels like to go up and down and what things you have to use and what's helpful and what's not helpful. And um, what a susu is supposed to look like. In point shoes, because you can say what it's supposed to look like in male shoes, but it's different. So I, I, I think it's, you know, in addition to all the other wonderful teachers they have, I think it's helpful. And it, it makes me feel good. <laughs> I do it instead of having a facelift. <laughs> Is there one element to your teaching style that you feel like has really evolved over the years that you've really honed to make it the most effective? It's hard to know, you know, it's just like, is there one wrinkle that I didn't notice like last year that's here this year? <laughs> I, it, it's such a long time. It's now 30 years. This is my 30th year teaching. So I'm sure I have uh, changed, but I still, you know, I look at my first workshops that I put on and I still want it to look the same. So I don't think it's completely changed or not much. What element in our generation's interpretations of Balanchine's works do you think is most missing? Mm. <laughs> well, tempo. Sometimes, I mean, you see, the tempo was paramount. And often there's this joke about Mr. B that, you know, he would stand in the front wing always. I mean, he did. It was that wasn't the joke, and and uh, lean on and and someday and look down and and one day somebody said to him, Mr. Balanchine, why aren't you watching the ballet? And he was tapping his foot and he said, you know what? If the tempo was right, I don't have to watch it. And that's really true, and and that's how I feel. When the music's wrong, it can't be right, because he was music, you know. That's the thing about going into the room with him. It's like the assimilation of architecture 
and music and the steps in one thing. I mean, it was like he built a building in, you know, it's so architecturally perfect with the music, but part of it is because he saw the notes on the page in his head, you know, made the people be like that without even thinking about it. So, I mean, it's, um, so there's that. And so because of that, and, and maybe the plie, and also we weren't as, as uh, interested in turnout as people seem to be today. How you, from the ankle down, absolutely. How you place your toe in the floor, absolutely. And, and being forward, because you know he would say, it's show business, dear. It's for the public. So when your face and your chest is not in front of your, I don't know, hips, but that doesn't mean you stick your hips out in the back. It's just the front part is what you're performing for people. They paid money, see, to not see you, like, you know, be turned out. <laughs> and <laughs> so it was a little more um, show businessy. Mm-hmm. in that sense. And uh, so I think maybe that. I mean, the austerity of it. it. Mr. B was so normal. He liked ironing. You know, he would iron to, <laughs> ma- to relax him. He loved uh-huh. to iron his shirts, uh-huh. ironed his own shirts. And he was so much more normal. than There was n- nothing pretentious about him. And so dancing was more normal. Right. Um, what do you think is the most important thing our generation can do to continue to preserve his legacy? Your generation. Um, listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> what, what can I say? <laughs> That's the best answer. That's great. So for our last little go around, we like to do um, a, what we call a lightning round where we just ask a short question we get a short answer it's not a trick and we're not you know we're not trying to trip you up so it's <laughs> should be relatively easy i can turn the mic off if you don't <laughs> like it so the first question is uh favorite ballet to dance i knew you were going to say that um i imagine serenade and um there were so many but i did love doing the russian dance russian girl and serenade uh favorite ballet to watch Oh, there's so many, for so many reasons. I mean, Liebeslieder is everybody's, not everybody's, but I love Liebeslieder, but I love Liebeslieder when Violette and Patty and Jelana and, I forget, and Suzanne were in it. Uh, most memorable onstage moment. Oh, gosh. Oh, well, I did uh, break my foot in the Russian dance on in Serenade. I got thrown in. It was my first performance. I got thrown in. It was the last day of the season, and I had been rehearsing Stars Potida upstairs to go on a lecture with Helgi Thomason to Iceland. And I was doing over and over again the, the final thing in Stars on this very soft shoe, and then I had understudied it, but I'd never danced it. And then everybody was out. And so, Susie, can you do it? Yes, of course. <laughs> so I kept the same shoes on, and I went down and I did it. 
and when you the famous step, the you know changement with the split jump and the came down, I heard a pop. It had never happened to me before in my life. Pop, and then I finished the ballet, and then I couldn't walk, could not walk, and. I remember Mr. B was so mad at me because I had to replace somebody else in a demi and symphony in C. And I said, I, Mr. B, I can't walk. And you said, what do you mean you can't walk? You just did Serenade. I said, no, really. And, and, and I was, that was the longest foot injury I ever had because we didn't have MRIs and we didn't have, it wasn't so much a fracture, but I had, you know, either overstretched or torn ligaments in the, you know, between the first metatarsal. And it took... It took a year to really heal. I mean, I, I came back and then I redid it, and so it was in the it was in the old days when they didn't have MRIs and you just got rested. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite correction to give? I have so many. I, I you can give us a couple. Well, be forward, <laughs> Fo forward, forward, forward. Forward, forward, forward. I think that's my favorite correction. Forward with the face, lead with your nose, you know, bend your elbows, bend your knees. That's more than one. <laughs> okay. If you could come back to the stage tomorrow and dance one role, what would it be? Oh, leave a sleep. Okay. Well, that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Susie, for joining. You're welcome. It was fun. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week on Conversations on Dance. Follow us now on social media at, at Conversations on Dance and subscribe now on iTunes so that you will automatically be notified when a new episode goes live. Thanks for joining us this week on Conversations on Dance. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.